0: Grab your Bibles and open them back to Romans chapter five, <clears throat> and let's continue our study, our look at the um, fairly complex portion of God's Word. Um, if you're sitting out there trying to catch on and and keep up, and and are thinking, "My, this is this is somewhat," complex stuff? Well, um, don't be alarmed. It is. I mean, this is a difficult passage of Scripture, um, and, and its difficulty, I think, can be proven by the fact that the translators who took the Greek text and, and tried to, to put it in an orderly fashion, and a reasonable fashion, have inserted parentheses for you. Parentheses do not exist in the Greek language, folks. Um, And what they're trying to do is assist you in understanding this text by inserting something, a a parenthesis, that will help you unravel the meaning. So in one sense, they're they're interpreting for you by inserting that, but uh, it's done because I think you're in a pretty uh, difficult portion of Paul's book to the Romans. So let me read to you, um, beginning at verse 12, and we're going to read through verse 15 as we begin tonight. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned, parenthesis, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Now guys, um, I told you last week that verse 13, as you see, and I think about every translation, I think every translation has that parenthesis beginning in 13. I think they might close in a different spot, but they all begin at verse 13. Um, I told you last week that um, verse 13 begins a parenthesis. Well, verse 15 begins a parenthesis within a parenthesis. Now, let me tell you what I think is going on in the mind of, of the Apostle Paul. Now, this, this, is, uh, this is perfectly speculative on my part. I, you realize that. I know that. But here's what I think is going on in the mind of the Apostle Paul. He makes a statement um, in verse 12, and then as he writes, he realizes, now wait a minute, my audience is, not go- is going to think something. They're going to ask this question. So I have to address it. Now, if if I were writing a book today, and, and, and I'm writing along on my, on my present theme, and I realize, you know, my audience may need to have a, a, a little bit of further explanation about this, I have various ways at my disposal to explain it. For instance... I could footnote it at the bottom of the page. I could put a little one right in there and say "C note on bottom of page" or something like that. But Paul doesn't have those literary devices at his disposal, and so he's he's writing along. He realizes they're not going to understand that. My Jewish audience is going to wonder um, what happened to those from Adam to I mean, from Moses from Adam to Moses. And so he sticks verses 13 and 14 in there. And he ends verse 14 with this statement, which is so key, verse 14 now, that he is Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. And then another light goes off in the mind of the apostle, and he says, wait a minute now. They're going to need a little bit of explanation about what I mean with this whole business of type. And in one sense, guys, verse 15 is a, is a brief lesson on what is known in theological circles as typology. Now, have you ever heard that term, uh, the type and the anti-type? <laughs> let, let, me, let me give you, I mean, there's all kinds of, for instance, examples of types of Christ in the Old Testament. And when you're studying types, T-Y-P-E-S, it's called Typology. For instance, Moses was a type of Christ. Do you know he says that? He says that in Deuteronomy 18. And then Luke says it, or Peter says it, recorded by Luke, in Acts chapter 3. Um, God will raise up a prophet like me, says Moses. So Moses is a type of Christ. Joshua is a type of Christ. David is a type of Christ. The high priest is a type of Christ. The scapegoat on the Day of Atonement was a type of Christ. Um, the um, The whole sacrificial system was designed to deal with sin But it was also designed to be a type of atonement. That is, giving you insights as to what the atonement would ultimately look like. That's all typology. Let me me give you something that I think will illustrate my point, although it's not a piece of typology. But I think it will illustrate my point. Um, And perhaps you've heard me say this before. Um, You've seen the book of Revelation, uh, uh, chapter 20, where the great... A dragon is thrown into the lake of fire. And I've had, in 27 years of ministry, four or five times people ask me, is hell a lake of fire? Well, no, ladies and gentlemen, it is not a lake of fire. Um, it is far worse than a lake of fire. <laughs> Anybody in hell today would probably give everything that they ever owned if hell were only a lake of fire. But if you're trying to communicate something awful, if you're trying to describe hell, what could be possibly worse than a lake of fire? But here's the point. And here's the point that Paul is making in verse 15. A lake of fire is a symbol which falls short of the reality to which it is pointing. That's the point when Paul, when Paul hastens to say, oh, 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 but the free gift is not like the offense. You know, uh, Adam is a type of Christ... But he's not exactly identical. There's vast differences. He's a type of Christ, but they're not identical. Whereas I've been trying to point out, I mean, uh, that is Paul's, whereas Paul has been trying to point out that there is, a, there is a likeness in the pattern of what Adam did and what Christ did, he does not want you by any stretch of the imagination to come to the conclusion that they're identical. Um, as we are all in Adam, and thus death spread to all men, we are all in Christ. So there's, there's some similarities in the two federal heads. But they are never to be thought of as identical. And that's why he inserts this, oh, but the free gift is not like the offense. L- l- let me try to give it to you another way. <laughs> um, when I have people in my office and um, they're considering the baptism of their Infant child, as you know, we—if they don't like what I say to them, they go to Richard, and and Richard uh, tells them his approach to things, and um, and Richard and I have gotten along for eleven years with never being offended when they come out of my office and go down to you know Richard's office and you know knock rather meekly on the door and say um, we didn't like what he said. <laughs> but anyway, I always love to in, in the course of my conversation, I always love to look at the parents and say do you have to be baptized to be saved? And being the good little evangelicals that they are, they say, oh, no, oh, no, you want to be baptized to be saved? Oh, 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 no. And I say, you don't. Well, of course you do. Now, what I'm saying is, baptism is a symbol. It points to a greater reality. Do you have to undergo the sacrament of baptism to be saved? Of course not. But do you have to undergo the reality to which the sacrament points to be saved? Yes, you do. You don't have to go to that little piece of ritual. No, no, no. But the ritual is a symbol of something that's a piece of reality. And the symbol only points us to the reality. But it always falls short of the reality. And that's the point of recipe. Um, whereas Paul is trying to demonstrate likenesses between the two, or similarities between the two, Adam and Christ, he is now going to say, in a parenthesis within a parenthesis, they are some vast differences as well. There are similarities, yes, but there are dissimilarities. Now, he doesn't mention which ones he has in mind. He will mention one later on in the text. But but let me mention a couple of dissimilarities in our relationship to Adam as compared to our relationship to Christ. For instance, our relationship to Adam was a purely physical one. In terms of we came from the same loins. He was our uh, it's a it's a relationship that is uh, ours because we're born um, in humankind. But our relationship to Christ is one that is that is created by faith. It is a spiritual relationship. Another uh, supposed or not supposed, but another difference. Uh, the offense that Paul mentions in this text led to the fact that many died. Um, and that death was, was wages. For the wages of sin is death, says Romans 6 That death that they died is considered by the Scriptures a wage. But in the relationship that we have in Christ, everything that we get is by way of gift. By way of free gift. Adam's, what Adam produced for us is something that is a wage. But what Christ gives us is something He gives us by way of gift. That's a dissimilarity between the two. Don't ever come to the conclusion that those two are identical. They're similar and you can learn. For instance... Can you learn lessons about hell from calling it a lake of fire? Yeah, you can can learn it's awful and you don't want to go there. But can you experience reality? No, you can't. Can you learn lessons about the federal headship of Adam as compared to the federal headship of Jesus? Yes, you can. But they are not identical. Because what you have in Adam is a wage. What you have in Christ is something that is gotten via a gift. You know, most of you have heard this story, I guess, at least if you've been through our new members' class, because I do give my testimony in the new members' class, but um, I I, I think it's just as fresh in my wife's mind as it is mine that uh, we live in this little apartment in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and and, uh, on this uh, divine appointment Thursday night in September of 1970, Dr. D. James Kennedy comes knocking at the door I mean he had called an hour earlier and made an appointment with us, but um, you maybe not remember this part, but you know i was I thought I was a Christian the whole time and I mean I all of my life I thought I was a Christian you know and, and I represented the FCA at the University of Tennessee and spoke as one of their voices of the Fellowship of Christian athletes there in Knoxville and and went out, and, and I only had really one sermon. I only had one little thing that I said. And I, I, I went to high schools. I went to junior high schools. I went to civic clubs. I went to churches. And I only really had one thing to say. It was Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. And that's all I could say. You, know, you keep on sinning, you're going to die and go to hell. That's all I, you know, that's the only thing. I, but, you know, I could say it rather dramatically. And so, therefore, you know, they, uh, they appreciated my coming. Um, <laughs> and I did get to wear my orange blazer. Um, but... Um, and the night when Jim Kennedy came into the to our home and shared the gospel with us, the first time you know that we ever had ears to hear, I guess. And uh, you may, do you remember this part of my story? Is that the first verse that he ever used with us was Romans six twenty three. And uh, and quoted the whole thing, because the wages of sin is death. That's only half the verse. And I'd been I'd been preaching that text for you know at least five years as a representative of God, and uh, didn't even know. <laughs> didn't even know that i was dealing with a half of a verse and he came into my our, our apartment that night and and um and quoted that verse and uh, the last half of it of course goes but the free gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord i was absolutely stunned And remember going to bed that night and saying to susie i can't believe this i mean where have i been all of my life, I had never heard that heaven was a free gift, and uh, it was such a such a sweetness to hear that heaven. Well, uh, the the point I'm making, ladies and gentlemen, is what you get via your relationship with Adam is something that is considered a wage. What you get in your relationship with Jesus is via a gift. That's a dissimilarity. Uh, that, that's to make sure that you will never make the mistake of equating Adam with Paul, Adam with Christ, although there are some similarities. And that's, do you understand what I'm saying? He mentions this, he is a type of him who is to come, in verse 14. And then he realizes, wait a minute, I don't want them to conclude that um, when I say type, I mean identical. No, 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 no. But the free gift is not like the offense. The offense is a wage. The free gift is a gift. Those are differences. Um, And then the text goes on. For if by the one man, Jesus Jesus Christ, man's offense... Many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Guys, you know, how much time could we spend on that? That the center of verse 15? Much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Um, that is a rich statement of the gospel. Just that clause within verse 15. Let, let me comment a couple of things and uh, say a couple of things about it. And that I'm, I'm certainly won't exhaust the uh, the richness of it. The the one thing, or the really the two things that I want you to see in here. One of them has to do with the much more. Um. Uh. How much? How much is in, or what kinds of things are in that much more? That is, what is Paul thinking? You know, I'm not sure, but um, if Adam's offense has such an impact on us that it leads to death, how much more of an impact the grace of God has on us? Yes, yes, yes. What Adam has done uh, has impacted us such that all men died. But the grace of God much more impacts us. It's almost, again. He wants to let you know that what Christ has done is in no way to be equated with what Adam did. Adam has affected you, yes, greatly, yes, but much more has the grace of God through this one man, through the uh, and and the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. Um. The, the impact of Christ's one act is much more certain. It is much more glorious than what, um, what Adam has done. If, if, if what Adam did has ultimately led to the punishment of death, um, much more the grace of God and his love uh, leads to a salvation that is sure and certain. Guys, we are related to a God who delights to display grace. Um, and, I, and I would even go so far as to say delights to display grace much more than he delights to display condemnation. And I think I could prove that. That is, it is not, uh, doesn't bring pleasure to God that uh, men perish, but it brings pleasure to display his grace. You know, this is an aside, and perhaps I'm, I'm opening a can of worms that will that will trouble you. I, I hope not to do that. I, that would be pastorally mean to trouble you. But, you know, every Christian, no matter what their theological stripe, has a problem with the origin of sin. If you believe that God is good, which all Christians do, and you believe that God is omnipotent, and all Christians do, Um, you've got a problem with the origin of sin. Um, If God is good, why did he let sin uh, even come? And if he's all-powerful, why did he stop it? One of the replies that I have always made to that question, which is a naughty one for the Christian, for any of us, for all of us, ladies and gentlemen, whether you're a Methodist or a Lutheran or, you know, it's a problem for all of us. But one one of the replies that I have always made is, without sin there would never be the opportunity for God to display grace. Grace would have not been needed without sin. All I'm saying is that one of the reasons I want to suggest to you that God permitted sin to enter is so that he could display or he could get the joy and the delight of displaying grace again and again and again. Um, What does this grace of God lead to? It leads to a gift. Uh, No longer are we talking about wages, ladies and gentlemen. Um, The only way you ever get anything from God is via a gift. He always works via gifts, not wages. That's a difference between the headship of Adam and the headship of Christ. And then I want you to see this word um, that grace abounds. Um, abounded to many. Um, guys, whenever the scriptures get ready to talk about grace, it always does it in language that is utterly superlative. It, it cannot find words that are bigger to describe it. Um, it, it. It seems that when the authors are trying to describe grace, they 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 run out of words. But I want to show you an example, and and I, I I I snickered in my office today because I thought, John, what are you? If you can turn real quick with me to John one. And and I studied the context for a while, and I thought, now where does that even where does that even how does that have anything to do with the present context that John is writing? I, I can't figure this out, so if you can, get yourself a good commentary on John and you can help unravel this whole thing. But, but um, he's talking about John the Baptist. I'm in John 1, verse 15. John bore witness of him, cried out, saying, This, is, this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me. For he.... He's talking about John the Baptist. But look at verse 16. And of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. That's that's almost tautological. <laughs> that is, he's talking in circles almost. In, in, now, of course, I'm missing perhaps what he means, but these and of his fullness we have received and grace for grace. The, the author just can't find enough words to talk about the richness and the fullness of God's grace. There's another example that I love to point to. It's in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 8. And um, in fact, the word that's found in there is not used in the New King James. But if you've got an NIV or a New American Standard, you'll find the word. And it's describing how God um, distributes grace. And it uses the word lavish. Think about that word for a second. Just let it roll off your lips for a second. When God gets ready to distribute grace, He lavishes. He pours out in abundance. He's not skimpy. Uh, he's not penurious. He's not parsimonious in His distribution of grace. When He comes to distribute grace, he... He just pours. You remember, Susan and I were going to seminary. Um, I think she told you, she told some group just recently, I guess it was our a little supper at our home, that um, she was working at a place. Um, she was working for an orthodontist, and she was working 55 hours a week and making 70 bucks a week. Ask her if that's not true. And um, I mean, it was 70 bucks a week. I mean, that wouldn't pay for books. And, um, we probably had more disposable income back then than we do now. That's, well, maybe not true. I mean, when we had the three girls, it was certainly true. <laughs> Those little consumers. Um, but, <laughs> um, I, I did the grocery shopping and, and she tells a story. And I'm not going to tell you this story because it was a terribly wicked thing that she told about me. And it was only partially true. <laughs> no, I'm not telling that story. I'm not telling, do you heard the story? No, if you were I'm not telling that story because it was, it was, it, but anyway, I was in charge of buying the food and, and cooking. And, and we used to have spam, and, and I stuck little clove uh, things in it and poured brown sugar on it. And it was, you know, it looked like a nice little piece of uh, holiday ham. Uh, but, but anyway, um, I, I learned something uh, that, you know, we would have these canisters, um, and I would go out and buy five pounds of flour. Well, the last thing that I wanted to do is waste money, you know, because we did, and we were, did I say this? We were trying to eat on, was 20 bucks a week? She says it's fifteen. I say it's twenty. Twenty. We were trying to eat on twenty bucks a week, and so I, I bought this these five pounds of flour, and, and and so you got this canister that's supposed to hold five pounds of flour. You know, it's a five pound canister. Well, you know, I'd start dumping that stuff in there, and and you know, it'd fill up, and and I'd still have some in that bag. And you know, if you just roll it up in the bag, the bugs are going to get it, and so I couldn't have that. So, I'd, you know, I'd shake the little thing around, you know, and tap it on the thing. And then you'd float down, and I'd pour some more, and I'd tap some more. And then finally, I've still got, you know, this much in the bottom of that bag, and, you know, the thing's full. So I'm taking this spoon, and I'm pressing on this thing, you know, to press it down in there, to get it down in there, but I'm still pouring in it, because I'm not about to throw any of that flour away. I'm getting every last smidgen of that five pounds in that thing right there. So, you know, it would take me hours to do it, but, uh, you know, I, I finally... Um, would just get almost everything in there, but it never would hold the whole bag My point is there's a there 's a statement in in two of the three two of the three gospels where, where it 's talking about god 's grace that is pressed down and overflowing it 's never just enough to fill up the canister it 's always pressed down beaten down you know it 's pressed down shaken together, and overflowing. Kicking the thing and pressing the it down. But there's still more left. It's never just five pounds worth. He lavishes. He delights in lavishing. It abounds. You know, every time one of the authors in the scriptures get ready to try and to, and to suggest to you what, how God distributes grace, they run out of words. It's just grace that is a lot. There's plenty of it. It's big. It a pound. He delights to lavish. More so, ladies and gentlemen, than than he delights in condemnation. You will notice, also, of course, that this grace always comes through Christ Jesus. Nothing that God ever does comes to us except through the mediatorial role of Jesus Christ. Um, and it is only part of the human race or only part of the, those of us who have been ruined by the fall who are benefited by the cross because they will remain outside Grace. Now, I I close with this, guys, and we'll start in verse sixteen next week. But um, uh, there there is something here um, that I want that I do not possess, and it bothers me that I don't. It's that there seems to be in the Apostle Paul a a, um, a glorying in this abounding grace. He's swept away by the amount of grace that God distributes to sinners. Do you? Have you been overtaken by grace? Not just enough to get you to heaven so that you can eke into the kingdom and get in there by the skin of your chinny-chin-chin. But do you Rejoice in the abounding grace of God. That's when I think, ladies and gentlemen, we've got something that will attract the world. Abounding grace. Uh, A grace that um, is not given to us in small measure. Grace that is given to us, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. Grace that is abounding to those who embrace the Savior. So, don't come to the conclusion. There's a lot of similarities that can be drawn. But there's dissimilarities as well. And the primary one that Paul points out in verse 15 is that what we had in Adam is a wage. What you get in Christ is a gift. And the gift is the result of enough to cause the people of God to rejoice. Let's quit. Our Father, uh, I do pray that you will uh, instruct your people in such a way that they might know that there's a whole lot more to celebrate than we celebrate. That your grace and mercy to us is a, is, a, is far better than we ever dreamed it was. That your um, that your delight is to see us relishing every taste of grace, and though we are caught up in um, the mundane and that which so troubles us from day to day and steals from us this um this capacity to enjoy abounding grace, I pray that you will bring us pause as we consider that you are not just a God of grace. The grace that you distribute is grace upon grace. It is a grace that abounds. It is a grace that is pressed down, shaken together and overflowing. It is a grace that you delight to lavish on your people. Father, might I be caught up, along with my brethren, in rejoicing in grace like that. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Good night. Hope to see you next week in the providence of God.